1: KZSU, Stanford University's FM radio station, broadcasting across the Bay Area on 90.1 FM and across the world at KZSU.org. Thank you, Harris. Today, we're joined by the dynamic and inspiring Renee Sylvan. Renee was born in New York and raised in Switzerland. After earning his bachelor's degree from Georgetown University and MBA from Cornell University, Rene spent 25 years in the investor-owned hospitality industry. Since retiring and after surviving late-stage cancer, Rene has published five books, including his memoir, about his friendship with the late Duchess of Windsor. Rene is also the chairman of the Palm Beach Landmarks Preservation Commission. He's listed as the who's who in the world. Love this. For more information, feel free to visit his website at rrsylvan.com. Again, that's rrsylvan.com. Hello, Renee. Super honored and uh, really excited to have you uh, on your show today on The Modern Architect. Thank you so, so much.
2: Thank you, Tom, and thank you for having me on your show. I, You know, uh, for your viewers' sake, we have spent maybe a total of Twenty minutes speaking to each other in, in two different occasions, and you have a quality about you which is very endearing. And so I'm flattered and honored to be one of your one of your interviewees. Oh,
1: thank you, me. thank you very much for that, Renee. Renee, we like to start off our uh, your show with a prayer, a mantra, a quote that you even, you don't have to necessarily live by, but it really matters to you in your personal, professional life. And love to hear uh, love to hear yours.
2: Well, can I give you two, Tom? Absolutely. Thank you. In terms of a a prayer or a mantra, you know, uh, for your viewers' sake, we've talked about a lot of people who we've loved and lost. So I've I've delivered a lot of eulogies. And one of the refrains that I use in all of my eulogies is a quote from Cicero. And so I'm going to paraphrase what Cicero said, which is that the lives of the dead are committed to the memory of the living. And what that means is that his view of immortality was that you who have lost someone important in your life, you think about that person. And that is immortalizing them uh, in a way that anybody, whether they're religious or not religious, even spiritual or not spiritual, can, can grasp. So that's the mantra that I'd like to say offered to your audience. But since we're talking about architecture, and you are going to be talking to me about Palm Beach architecture, one of the quotes that sticks in my mind all the time was a quote by Winston Churchill that he delivered to the House of Commons in London in October of 1943 after the Blitz had had destroyed Uh, much of the uh, historic House of Commons in in London. And while they were talking about the plans that they were going to have, um, he said this very simple sentence, we shape our buildings and afterwards our buildings shape us. And I think that's really, it's a very plain, simple thought, but I think it's terribly important. And I also think that buildings' shapes attract certain people. Uh, Now, fortunate people. The vast majority of people in this world live where they have to live. For people who are fortunate and are able to choose a home, I think that your choice of home is extremely important because, as Churchill said, it will shape you. And I think that certain homes attract certain people who have certain proclivities to make change. You know, we are going to be talking about Addison Meisner, but and I'm skipping ahead, I hope you don't mind. but that book is called "The House that Changed Palm Beach." because I, I believe that uh, certain homes attract people and that given the way they were originally shaped, those people then fall in by some sort of cosmic reality and they lead a life that the house kind of starts to dictate to them. and certainly in respect to the house I'm talking about there, Palm Beach, if well, every single owner, helped shape this town this little town of palm beach
1: terrific this is outstanding renee and on that palm beach and how it was shaped share with us you know the house that changed palm beach or built it palm beach it may mean, not built
2: it but he did well so i think we're getting out of sequence but i don't care if you do absolutely you're no no
1: But we're, let's just let, uh, i'd so love to have this just flow
2: okay. So I always, when I, w- I was a businessman for most of my, my life, I had always wanted to study history and particularly art history. But w- in my generation, again, if you were fortunate and you were able to go to college, generally speaking, your parents told you what you were go- where you were going to go and what you were going to study. And so uh, m- my parents nixed the idea of art history. It was uh, not what they wanted to do. So I'd always had in the back of my mind, I really love architecture and I love to study architecture. And so when I retired... I did throw myself into the study of architecture, but its roots took place way back, because you had asked me to also consider sort of uh, relating to your audience an amusing story, and let, let me tell you that because it does mm-hmm. tell into what we're talking about. My parents lived on opposite sides of the ocean. I was uh, when I was a kid, and I lived in Switzerland. And on occasion, I was uh, sent to see my mother, and it was usually at Christmas time. My mother loved architecture. And she lived here in Palm Beach. And so um, she would say to me as as a small child, Renee, I'm going to to go and have lunch with so-and-so. And And many of these people had historic homes here in Palm Beach. And she said, I was, you know, 8, 10, 12 and into my early teens during this phase. And she said, you know, you're going to eat in the kitchen, which was fine with me because I always had a lot more fun. Um, with with staff, and she said, you're going to eat in the kitchen, but I've arranged to have someone show you around the house. Sometimes it was the architect, sometimes it was the house manager, and while I have lunch with so-and-so, they're going to show you around the house, and they're going to give you a history of its architecture, and tonight I'm going to give you a quiz. So my love for architecture in general, uh, residential architecture in general, and in Palm Beach in specific, took root when I was this small kid. One time, I know the year because uh, we went to uh, Rose Kennedy's house, Joe's and Rose Kennedy's house, the president's parents' home here in Palm Beach and she explained to me that the son had just been elected president so it was in 1960 uh, I was 12 and she said you know you're going to eat in the kitchen and that this whole this sto- whole story evolved with La carida that my the sweet, sweetness is the name of, of their home and so I started this whole love for architecture through my mother's games as a kid and uh, I thought your viewers might be interested mm-hmm. to hear that what one of the, one of the the interesting uh, memories was uh, with the at Ke- the Kennedy compound here in Palm Beach, which by the way has survived. It is a Meisner. Meisner built uh, 37 homes in a in a, a staggeringly short period of time he He was only successful at in business for eight years. And during those eight years, he built a staggering 27 homes, and of those homes, uh, I beg your pardon, I say 37 homes, of those homes, 20 have survived. And so we're, we're very fortunate because, as you probably know, in the 60s, 50s and 60s, uh, we, America lost so much of its gorgeous architecture, particularly residential architecture, because people didn't want to maintain these homes anymore, even if they had the money to have the staffs that was necessary to run them. And That's where the term white elephant came into play. Wow.
1: So. Th- was that the intent to create what Palm Beach is today and what it has been in the last 100 plus, little over a 100 years? Was that the intent to make it a place where people had that level of appreciation for as many parts and facets of life as uh, there can be?
2: Well... I'd like to go back a little bit to the beginning of Palm Beach. Palm Beach is this, people think it's an important town. It's not. It's a tiny Mm -hmm. little, very vulnerable barrier island that's connected to a big town called West Palm Beach. But we're this tiny little town that is at its widest, four blocks wide. And it's connected to West Palm Beach, a major city of about 100,000 people with three bridges. At the height of our season, we just have 8,500 people. It's become so famous in recent times, uh, obviously, because of Mar-a-Lago, which perhaps, if you want, it, we can talk about it. But so there was nothing here until a ship called the Providencia, which was a Spanish ship, had come from Cuba, and it was on its way back to Spain in 1879, and it was carrying a cargo of coconuts. And it came ashore because Palm Beach is a little bit of a knuckle. It's the easternmost point in Florida. And if you look at a map, it's a knuckle that sticks out into the Atlantic, even though it's not the southernmost point. It's, it's the easternmost point. And a lot of shipwrecks, wreck, a lot of ships came ashore here. And it, the Providencia uh, crashed, uh, came ashore right where many years later Marjorie Merriweather Post would build the fabulous Mar-a-Lago. And coconuts fell out and the very primitive local people who were here gathered up these coconuts and, and they planted them. They thought they'd have a great crop and all of these wild palms arrived and so ergo Palm Beach got its name. But nothing happened here until later on uh, towards the end of the 19th century when Henry Morrison Flagler extended his, south, his railroad. He was a, a he was a brilliant man. Of course, he was enormously wealthy. He was John D. Rockefeller's partner, and he also owned this railroad. And he had the last outpost for America heading south along the east coast was to St. Augustine. And then he had the courage to build further down. And the next outpost was here, to Palm Beach, before the outpost of Miami and ultimately the outpost all the way to Key West. But he loved Palm Beach so much and he loved the geography and the topography and, and everything that he decided that this is where he would build his home. And he built a home by, called, called Whitehall by Carrier and Hastings, New York architects, and it is a wonderful museum that you can come and see here today. Uh, it's been beautifully maintained. He built it as a wedding present for his wife, 40 years as junior, Mary Lily Keenan. But that was in, it opened in 1902. So after the Providencia and the beginnings of the very early beginnings of Palm Beach, There was nothing here except a few very primitive cabins and cottages and bungalows that we fortunately have been able to preserve too. One of them was, in fact, the the home that he lived in while he was building uh, Whitehall. It's called Seagull Cottage. Fortunately, We have preserved that uh, through, in part, because of my work on landmarks, but my predecessors. And the other, the very oldest house here in Palm Beach is a house that came down in barges from New York in three sections that was bought from a Sears catalog. And, you know, Sears Roebuck was huge in those days. And you could buy these little portions of houses and some chap bought them and brought them down on a barge in 1896. And so one of our two oldest houses was not built here. It was brought here on a barge. And mercifully, we have been able to save it and renovate it and preserve it. And uh, so it's a private home now. But Seagull Cottage, you can visit. Whitehall, you can visit. There, are, all of these are rather together because Palm Beach, as I said, is, is so small. In fact, the joke is that it is four blocks wide, four miles long, and above everything else. Oh. <laughs>
1: <laughs> this is outstanding, Renee.
2: This is also the
1: Modern Architect Radio Show at KZSU, Stanford, ninety point one FM. We're talking today with Renee Sylvan. Renee is chairman of the Palm Beach Landmarks Preservation Commission, amongst other dynamic activities. For more information, feel free to visit rrsylvan.com. Again, that's rrsylvan.com. Renee, continue on about, the, you know, the, the history of Palm Beach and uh, how it's developed, the architecture, the design, the people there and why they chose to be there.
2: So what, what was it that drew them? When Henry Morrison Flagler developed Palm Beach, sort of discovered, really, and developed Palm Beach, it was by, you got here only by railroad. You could not get here by car. Uh, railroad was his thing. So the railroad uh, was extended, as I said, from August St. Augustine to what is now West Palm Beach. And there, he built a little wooden bridge that came across the intercoastal. And so the only way to get to Palm Beach for a very long time was on his train. And you cross this little wooden bridge into a, a train depot, and at the train depot, he built what became the largest, the most beautiful, and the most luxurious hotel in America called the Royal Ponciano Hotel. We've lost it, unfortunately. But so to answer your question, uh, since his when he had built Whitehall for his uh, his young bride, all of his friends hoped to come down to Palm Beach because Whitehall is enormous. They had lots of parties in the ballroom and everything. But then a lot of those friends said, "Wouldn't it be nice if we could spend more time here?" And so that's why he built the Royal Ponciana Hotel, which ended up a thousand rooms. So. But all you could do in Palm Beach for a very long period of time was to come here on Flagwood's train to you got off in a depot. And in front of you was the most beautiful, one of the most beautiful and one of the most luxurious hotels in the world, Uh, right on the intercoastal. And so um, he expanded it and he expanded it. And so more and more people were coming. And of course, it was for the time, it was very expensive, a couple dollars a day. But, you know, for the time, it was very expensive. It was rather adventuresome uh, that people were going to take their holidays this way instead of getting on a liner and going to the south of France or something. And so more and more people got intrigued. And the hotel got bigger and bigger. And then eventually some of those people decided that instead of uh, uh, they wanted to build their own homes here. And so the very famous people who were friends and some sycophants of of Flagler uh, stayed in the hotel. And then they decided that they were going to build homes here. And one of the people who used to come down and stay at the Royal Panciano Hotel was Paris Singer. Uh, He was the heir to the Singer sewing machine fortune. And his sidekick was Addison Meisner. His protege was Addison Meisner. uh, Singer loved architecture and he was very fond of Meisner. They were not an emotional couple. They were not uh, physically uh, related. They weren't gay, had a physical relationship, but they had a very tight incestuous relationship. And so Singer brought Addison Meisner here in 1917. There was still nothing but bungalows, and this magnificent, beautiful Whitehall, and this magnificent hotel. And so, when they were here, Singer said that he, um, his love at the time, were convalescent hospitals. It was World War One. He had given his two European mansions up to become convalescent hospitals for American World War I soldiers. One was in Paris, in St. Cloud, outside of Paris, and he had subsequently given that to his girlfriend, Isadora Duncan, who had turned it into a, a, a dance uh, school. So she was here a lot uh, with him, and the other one in England, he had also given that. But when he got here to Palm Beach with Meisner, he thought, you know, my love is convalescent hospitals. It was still the First World War coming to an end. And he said, I want to build a convalescent hospital here in Palm Beach for returning World War I uh, 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 soldiers. But the war ended abruptly and at, in 1919, November of 1919. And Meisner's the construction had already begun on this convalescent hospital. And Meisner said to Paris, I your and said to Meisner, let's switch gears. And, you know, let's do something that's much more uh, new and novel than the view of the uh, Royal Ponciana Hotel. And they built the Everglades Club, which is standing today. It's just a, almost across the street from, from where we're fortunate enough to live. And the Everglades Club um, is, still, is still this magnificent club. And while they were at the opening party of the Everglades Club, where all of Meisner's design geniuses was taking place, the, one of the guests of honor uh, was a family called Ned and Eva Stotesbury, enormously wealthy people. He had, uh, the Ned Stotesbury had started Drexel, the big financial body, and was one of the founders of J.P. Morgan. And Eva uh, Stotesbury was, uh, sort of figuratively speaking, she was the archduchess of high society here. And when she saw this magnificent building, which was the Everglades Club, she said to Mister to Addison Meisner, oh, Mr. Meisner, if I could just have a house like this, she said, it would be so wonderful. It's so adapted to our climate. It's so beautiful. And he said, well, why can't you, Mrs. Stokesbury? And she said, well, because I've just hired um, a Horace Trumbrower, the great architect from the north who had designed their magnificent home, White Marsh Hall, um, outside of Pennsylvania, outside of Philadelphia. And she said, I- I, he told me I'll have a home. Uh, like White Marsh Hall here in four years, and he said, "Mrs. Stotesbury, if you hire me, I will give you a house that's very similar to this ho- this club that you're in love with, and you'll have it next season." And he did. He built Elmirasol in in ten months, and when they came back, there was this magnificent mansion. So everybody followed her. So to answer your question, and I rambled on a little bit, it was Ava Stotesbury who was the first client of Addison Meisner, and she was so revered in high society that everybody followed her, including Marjorie Mary post
1: Is it uh, I'm gonna reach on this one, Renee. Can we say that the architecture Going back to your quote about with Winston that they shape us, that it absolutely influenced who it attracted and who who chose to stay. It's the architecture, obviously the climate, and the, the location helps, but the architecture is what seems to have kept and inspired people to stay. What's your thought on that?
2: I think I think you're right, but it had to have a gift. Uh, the you see when Miser saw Whitehall, he he said. To, he said, "Well, you know, this is just another Southern styled mansion, and it is Whitehall, fabulous and amazing as it is. If you look at it, it could be in Charleston." And Meisner said, "So it's not not adapted to our our climate." And he said, "He had studied architecture in Guatemala when he was a young child. His father had been appointed ambassador." A minister, but it was roughly uh, the equivalent of an ambassador. And he fell in love with architecture there. He fell in love with the 17th century Spanish architecture that he saw in in Guatemala. And so when he became, was uh, sponsored by Paris Singer and able to have a free hand to do what he wanted, he designed houses that were adapted to our climate, which, as he said, Whitehall was just another southern mansion. So his homes all sprawl out and around. They're connected with colonnades and cloisters, and you're all over the property because, he said, we have to live outside. You know, but people don't think of it. Modern people now, they build these great big lumps, and they air-condition them, and, and, and they push their boundaries to the extent of the zoning rules right up to the neighbor, uh, and there's no inside-outside living anymore. And he had this whole thing about how you, you became part of the site You're here in this wonderful climate in the winter, and people only came in the winter. So let's create homes that take advantage of that, and that are perfect. He even would think of where the prevailing winds were to put the kitchen in a certain place so that the smells would go out that way, of course, in an era that was pre-air-conditioned. And all of his great rooms had, had windows on three sides, and they were connected by cloisters. We have some homes here in, in town that we've preserved that are all that way, and, and you ramble around, and, and it's, it's, it becomes a, it's a, a fantasy. It's, it's an absolute fantasy land to, to visit these homes and, and, to, and to work in them. And so people really realized that this was a wonderful way to be. And those homes did shape the way that they behaved. He, in fact, Meisner uh, said, I want to be, he'd say to all of his very famous clients, I want to be the interior designer for the house on its ground floor. I don't care what you do upstairs, but on the ground floor, you are going to live the way this house was meant to be lived in. And so he would would be the interior designer. One of his clients was the great American family, the Graces, Josh Grace. And his wife's name was Margarita. I'm sorry, the Phippses. And his wife's name was Margarita Grace Phipps, the Grace shipping line. And he would gather all of his clients together, as more and more followed uh, Mrs. Stokesbury um, and then the Phipses and everything else, they would get and they would go over uh, to Europe every summer on a buying spree. And they would go over on the great liners of the day. Mrs. Grace would send a couple of freighters that would be there. Uh, when they, this group arrived, they arrived with uh, staff and these specially made cars. And, you know, it was not that far after the First World War. Everything was for sale. And they bought up everything. I mean, whole sections of houses and rooms and pillars and beams and fireplaces and everything. And they'd fill up Mrs. Grayson's freighter, which would go back home and come back. And instead of meeting them in the south of France, would meet them in Italy and so forth. And so the clients loved working with Meisner because he was fun. Up until then, people like uh, Turnbauer, uh, that Mrs. Stokesbury had used in, in Philadelphia and others, they were stuffy. You had these very formal meetings. He went to their offices and, and these very formal meetings. and He was in a stiffy collar and, and it took forever. Uh, Meisner would whip it out and he would then they'd go on these buying streets, which was so much fun. And in his home, Villa Meisner here, um, he had a string quartet every single day. For five days a week, he had a string quartet playing in the foyer. And it was uh, open house for his clients. They would come. Perhaps Irving Berlin would be playing on the piano in a corner. Isadora Duncan would be dancing around in the living room. And so, and they would talk about, they would talk business. He had connected his home, Villa Meisner, with a bridge over to another building where his architectural firm was. And they would walk over there and look at some drawings and then they'd come back. And so working with Meisner was fun. It was a novelty. Uh, And I think even to this day, I don't know of great architects who work that way. And so uh, that's how he acted. That's why his clients loved him, mostly women. They would tell their husbands that they were going to use him, period. (laughs) And don't worry about the bill, um, Mr. Phipps. Uh, So what if it's over budget? You know, we're having so much fun. And and so um, that's where all of these great mansions came. Then other architects dribbled in. Meisner style. Um, It's called Mediterranean Revival, MedRev. And so now, you know, if you think about it, there are a lot of different styles around the Mediterranean. You know, from Moresque in the South to the French the AIDS, and the Italianates, and they're all different. So Meisner's style of Medrev, Mediterranean Revival, is a, is a marriage of all of those styles. And it, it created what became known as the Palm Beach look and the South Florida look. And if you look at pictures of, of his magnificent homes, you'll see that it's all over the place. These red barrel tile roofs, white stucco walls pitched gables. Many of the windows um, had decorative columns in them, and they, they had arches on the top. And all of those elements, which he created and brought together in a beautiful way, because architecture is, is an art, uh, a form of art, and it has to be believable. You know, you could take all of Meisner's elements, the ones that I just described and a few of the others, And put them on a table. I I, I, uh, liken it to baking a cake. And you could get two bakers, give them all of the same ingredients, exact same, all portioned and everything, and say, you bake a cake and you bake a cake. And you might get um, the Swedish baker's cake, uh, uh, would look like a, a, a mishmash of things, or you might get a work of art. And so Meiser knew how to put these elements together and they're here today we're preserving them and uh, when this horrible period of covid restrictions is over i hope that your viewers will come to palm beach with there's some wonderful tours around palm beach and i would be very happy to help them to know where to go and what to do and and if you come uh, i will some of your people <laughs> I'll, I'll take you through meister's house yeah. i'll take I'll, I'll be i'll be happy to, to, to show you around
1: thank you very much i definitely will this is The Modern Architect on KZSU Stanford, 90.1 FM. Our uh, acknowledgement and public service is for SunServe. SunServe SunServe.org is their website. The SunServe's mission is recognizing that the entire LGBTQ community has the right to quality care, Their mission is to provide critical life assistance and professional mental health services with an emphasis on economically disadvantaged, marginalized youth, adults, and seniors in the greater South Florida metropolitan area. Again, for more information, feel free to visit their website at sunserve.org. That's sunserve.org. We're talking today with Renee Sylvan. Renee is, uh, amongst many things, chairman of the palm beach landmarks preservation commission for more information feel free to visit his website at rrsylvan.com. that's rrsylvan.com. renee what uh there's so much we can go on with this show and i i hope we have you again i well, not hope but we're going to have you again on our, our show what would you like to share with your audience today that we may not have touched on that uh, you feel um is important for today
2: well, first of all, Tom, thank you very much for the shout out to SunSurf. It is an organization that does a tremendous amount of good to people in need. So, uh, well, what I would like to, to say is that I have become somebody who is very dedicated to the preservation of architecture without Architecture, there was no history, and without history, there is no architecture, they are linked. And so when, as your viewers have heard, my dedication is to our Landmarks Preservation Commission, which started here in Palm Beach in 1979, when all, uh, whether it was here or in what I call our sister cities of Newport and other places, magnificent homes were being torn down. Nobody wanted them anymore. And when the Landmarks Preservation Commission was founded, 20 homes were put up for designation and protection. 19 of the homeowners lawyered up. This was taking their rights away. This was a terrible infringement on their, on their rights, of homeowner rights and everything. The only one who didn't was John Lennon, He, the Beatle. He had just bought one of our magnificent homes, El Solano, and if it weren't for John Lennon, Uh, we would not have had a Landmarks Preservation Commission here in Palm Beach for maybe 10 more years. And isn't that interesting that an artist of of his type fell in love with a Meisner home that he saw here, and he was instrumental in getting our Landmarks Commission started. If, If I still have time, we have a dual role on the Landmarks Commission. On the one hand, we designate and protect more and more homes. And then the other role is to work with homeowners who want to modernize their homes. And we're very, very uh, involved in that. and if we were dogmatic and pretended that we were important and pulled the bureaucratic nonsense with them, we probably uh, w- wouldn't have any success. But we realized that not only the great homes, but, but but focusing on the great homes, they weren't designed for modern living. They had staffs of 30 and 40 people. So they had these huge wings that were staff wings. Well, people don't want that anymore. Even huge fortunes, they don't want that anymore. They had vast kitchens and they didn't have, but if they had pools, they certainly didn't have family rooms that gave out onto the pools. And if we're going to jo- do our job right, we have to make it easy for a well-meaning, architecturally sensitive owner who's prepared to spend the money, because they're hugely expensive and hugely expensive to alter, to help them come up with designs where a modern family can live in an historic home. Excellent.
1: Renee. it's been an absolute honor and real and pleasure having you on our show today. Thank you very, very much.
2: Thank you, Tom. And um, continue the work you're doing.
1: Thank you. I, we I will. And you do. And you as well. And we'll have you back on our show in the very near future. I hope you're uh, you're ready for it. We'll we'll schedule this because um, it's a, it's a pleasure talking and, and being with you, even if it's a, a digitally today.
2: Anytime. Thank you very a much.
1: Pleasure. Thank you, Renee. Bye, bye
2: bye.
1: You've been listening to The Modern Architect. I'm Tom DiOro. Our guest today has been Renee Sylvan. Rene was born in New York and raised in Switzerland. After earning his bachelor's degree from Georgetown University and MBA from Cornell University, Rene spent 25 years in the investor-owned hospitality industry. Since retiring and after surviving late-stage cancer, Rene has published five books, including his memoir, about his friendship with the late Duchess of Windsor. Rene is the chairman of the Palm Beach Landmarks Preservation Commission and is listed In the who's who in the world. Love that. For more information, feel free to visit his website at rrsylvan.com Again, rrsilvan.com. Join us again next time when we welcome another outstanding architect, engineer, influencer, or civic leader committed to positive and sustainable cities, communities, and lives. I'm Tom Dior.
0: Are you an architect, designer, contractor, or engineer? Modeler.com is a platform connecting architects and other specifiers with building product manufacturers. Modeler.com's engaged network of over 240,000 architects, designers, and construction professionals use Modeler.com's tools to discover, discuss, and specify products appropriate for building projects. We at KZSU Stanford thank Modeler.com for the generous underwriting of production and broadcasting costs for The Modern Architect.